Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Support for this week's episode comes from the Google Pixel 3. We hosted this episode live from the Curiosity Rooms where Google has been encouraging visitors to unlock their curiosity and make their everyday more extraordinary with a series of free workshops, talks, podcasts and more. The Google Pixel 3 has been designed using the best of Google in a phone powered by AI. Extraordinary things are happening all around us but we don't always see them. With Pixel 3 you'll never miss out again. Features such as Top Shot, Group Selfie Cam and Google Lens are enabling us to rediscover and capture more of the everyday. The camera really is amazing and I've been using it for a few months now and I love it, so check it out. Thanks to the Google Pixel 3 and I hope you enjoy this episode. I have a note on my phone with like feminist stats and then I just whipped them out. I'm really cool guys and really fun at parties. You're listening to Feminists Don't Wear Pink, the podcast, based on the book Feminists Don't Wear Pink and Other Lies, a collection of writing by 52 women on what feminism means to them. I'm Scarlett Curtis. I'm a writer, activist, journalist, and very, very proud feminist. I'm also the curator of this book and the presenter of the podcast. During this series, I'm going to be talking to a few of the amazing contributors who've written our book to find out how they found their feminism and some of the lies that they've been told about what it means to be a woman. This week, I'm so lucky to be interviewing two of my closest friends. Tanya and I met four years ago and we became close almost instantly. I'm inspired by her every day. She started out as a YouTube creator and blogger in 2009. Ten years later, she's a businesswoman and actor with a cosmetic line and two best-selling books under her belt. She's also the most determined and one of the kindest people I know. Alongside Tanya, we have Amica. Amica George and I met in 2017 when she started the Free Periods campaign. You may recognise her from episode two of the Feminist Don't Wear Pink podcast, but she was so great we wanted to get her back again. She's an activist who is genuinely changing the world, despite the fact that she's only in her first year at university. I feel mildly guilty that she missed the lecture for this podcast, but hopefully it was worth it. Hi, guys. Hello. Uh, As we're in the curiosity rooms, I thought my first question could be, when did you first become curious about feminism? For me... I didn't hear the label feminist, but I was always kind of aware of how feminist people thought because Mm. my mum is really into books and she would have books like 
The Handmaid's Tale or Angela Carter. What's that book called? The Bloody Chamber. Is that a different book? I don't know. Oh, I don't know. But, um, but literally the most well-written. No, right? I'm not. Yeah. It, is <laughs> it? Yeah. All the publishers in the front row are like, yeah. yes. <laughs> and so, so growing up, I would read books like that when I was really young. So I could, but then I probably didn't understand them and I wouldn't have labelled them as feminist books because, mm. yeah, so I don't Sometimes really know. Sometimes I almost think that's better because... I think when something's... For me, definitely a lot of the feminist thought that I read first was in books that I didn't know were feminist. Because I think probably if someone had been like, this is a feminist book, I'd have been like, I don't want to read it. Yeah. That's lame. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I think that um, I, I kept like a book log when I was little of like books that I was reading, probably when I was about 10, and, um, and just like made a spreadsheet like on pen and paper that I drew out myself. And then I would put the title of the book, the date that I started, the date that I finished, how many pages it was. Someone should like brag about how many pages <laughs> I'd read. And then like a little comment and a smiley face or like an annoyed face or whatever. So sweet. And, um, <laughs> and when I would read my mum's books that were like by feminist writers to begin with, I'd be like very weird. <laughs> like a straight, straight line mouth emoji. <laughs> I love that. I mean, I still kind of feel that about The Handmaid's Tale. Probably not say that. Yeah. Bit, bit weird. <laughs> bit weird. <laughs> um, what about you? For me, I think it was almost kind of the opposite. Whereas I heard the word feminist, feminism and I heard people calling themselves fem feminists. Mm but I don't think I ever actually understood what it meant. Like, I think I grew up in, like, um, quite a like, female-dominated environment with, like, a lot of um, strong women in my family, and then I went to a girls' secondary school, and everyone would, like, talk about feminism, and we'd have, um, we'd have like, assemblies about feminist writers, and I'd be like, wow, like, they're really cool, but I don't think I really got it yeah. until I started free periods and started to, like, kind of unravel all of these, like, in the book, all these myths and all these things that we've kind of been conditioned into thinking mm. um un yeah until i was like maybe 60 15 or 16 the same because before that i would just be like yeah feminism like that's obvious and that's like normal for like a teenage girl to believe in yeah but i don't really think I, I got it yeah and it is i think when you start looking into the stuff it is almost like these goggles that you put on and then you suddenly see it everywhere mm -hmm. yeah um, yeah and so true. you sometimes almost wish you could take them off you're like, this is quite, I'm, I'm definitely that exhausting person at a party now that's like, <laughs> that's actually a bit sexist. <laughs> um, maybe you shouldn't say that. Um, was feminism something that your parents taught you about growing up? Not for me. Like I said, my mum my would have a lot of feminist authors on her bookshelf and she had like a whole... My mum would like organise her books and she had a whole women's bookshelf oh, and yeah. things like that. So it definitely... But would she still never have she said... She wouldn't label it. Yeah. So she would never say... I'm, my mum would never go around saying I'm a feminist or these are feminist authors. Yeah. I just know that now that I'm older. So it kind of... It was ingrained in me as a child, but mm. also not. Yeah. And I think um, same. women have been scared of saying that. Mm. I think what's amazing about our generation is young girls are really starting to like own that label and enjoy it yeah. instead of it almost being the dis this disparaging thing. Yeah, I know. I think I've, I've realised that it's become just a, just like a really cool thing as well. Yeah. Just feminism has just become like a very Instagrammable thing. Like that's what this yeah. book is pro proving yeah. is that feminism is like, it's completely being overturned and that it used to maybe be like a taboo. And now yeah, it's like be the opposite. Yeah. yeah. And now it's just everywhere and it's just all over social media it's and it's just like, yeah, ever it's present. very cool. You're <laughs> yeah. so right. It's so good that it's become cool because I feel like it was something that you would kind of label someone in, in, a, in a negative, negative way. way. Yeah. Yeah. 
Like I remember when I was little, one of the first people who I heard labelled as a feminist was actually my best friend Katie's in the front row. Yeah. <laughs> um, her auntie, and we'd be like, Auntie Sue is like such a feminist. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and not that we like disagreed with her, it's just we thought that it had to be a really extreme thing to be a feminist. Yeah. Um, yeah. And she probably is one of the more extreme feminists, but it was we couldn't identify yeah. ourselves as feminists because we were like, no, she's a feminist and she's quite quite crazy. And people yeah. would say it and it had all these things attached. It'd be like, oh, you know, she's a feminist. Mm. And that would mean, like, she's single, she doesn't wear makeup. Yeah. She doesn't wear pink. Uh, yeah, she her legs. doesn't wear pink. Yeah. <laughs> she doesn't wear Britney mics. <laughs> um, so both of you, speaking of social media, both of you really have used social media in different ways for activism and feminism and kind of getting these messages out there. Tanya, when did you, because you kind of came at it from the other approach where you had this huge social media following and then you really started to use it for the kind of things that you believed in. When did it occur to you that you wanted to take what you were doing online further? Um, well, I think, well, I just spoke to you about this yesterday that for me it comes in kind of um, waves mm. and I'll suddenly think, oh my God, I'm not doing enough. Yeah. And I literally text Scarlett yesterday saying, I was like, please, I was like, are you at home? I need to come over. And she wasn't at home. Yeah. <laughs> really busy, like promoting her book. But, um, yes. but uh, I was like, I'm not doing enough. I feel like I've not done anything um, to kind of help other people mm. or um, do something to spread word about something important for ages. And all I've been talking about is like what I'm eating or something. <laughs> um, so I feel like I've always probably realized that I had people following mm. what I'm up to and my beliefs and ideas and stuff for maybe like three years into doing it. Yeah. And, um, but then I will suddenly like forget and not do enough for a while. Was there any fear when you first started talking about feminism or, you know, poverty or sexist or when you went away? Um, Did you get any backlash? I can't remember when mm. I first did it, if I did or not. Did you get um, comments from boys? No. Or? Yes, I did. Yeah. I think I probably spoke to you about yeah. it. Yeah, I did like a little, um, like a mini campaign mm. around the global goals with your parents and you. And um, yeah, of course, there's backlash. And yeah. people saying, people like to accuse you for, so they'll say, oh, feminism isn't important. There's people dying in this yeah. country. And... I'm like, I know, but I'm just trying to raise awareness about this thing and you can't raise yeah. awareness about everything all at once. Yeah, it's that whole thing of like, what about Cherry? Where it's like, oh, you care about feminism? Like, what about this? Yeah. And you're like, that's also awful, but <laughs> I'm doing this thing right now. Yeah. Um, Amica, you started this campaign and then really used social media to get the message out there. How did you utilize those tools? I think a lot of people think are only for sharing like, pictures of your food or pictures of your outfit to genuinely change the world? Well, um, I think you have. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, for me, when I started my petition, it kind of just seemed obvious. As mm. the, it seemed the obvious, the obvious thing to do. When I read about period poverty, sorry, um, I, didn't, I told my friends and family about it and I knew that obviously we have the internet and it's very clear that that's kind of the way you go for me growing up online that was always the way you got your message out there yeah. and until then I hadn't really had like a message or a big idea that I wanted to tell people about but an online petition and then you know that seemed obvious and then putting it on Instagram and Facebook seemed obvious mm -hmm. and then only like maybe a month in I realized actually 
this is a lot bigger than just me posting online because there are other people posting it and there yeah. are, you know, interviews and all the stuff that you can do that just makes it grow and expand even more. Mm. Um, and then that's when I realised, yeah, that it's not, it isn't just me or campaigners who, who want who want to use social media for more than just the, the stuff that, like, yeah. you know, the, like, influencery stuff. It's actually just teenage girls who they don't... I think we've had social media for this amount of time now and everyone's used to it and the novelty's worn off, so it's like now we can use it for stuff that's really amazing and actually impactful because yeah. it is so impactful. Like, with our protest, which 2,000 people came to, we did everything online, you know, other than, like, my closest friends and family who I said, come to Downing Street at <laughs> 5 o'clock. Um, everything else was on Instagram and, like, just one person with, like, more than 1,000 followers posting it would have yeah. got a couple of people out and so... It yeah, and such I think an with that, a lot of people thought it was the big people posting that kind of got yeah. people. And that did really help, but... Definitely what we saw, because we worked together a lot on the campaign, was people with just, you know, a few hundred followers who were posting it, but then all their friends see it but, and are more likely to mm. digest it because that's someone you really trust. Exactly. And then those, I think, were the people that ended up bringing the biggest groups because actually this real grassroots, like, trickling of a message yeah. can sometimes go further than big people. Definitely. Um, one of my favourite things was what Suki Waters posted, though. Do you remember that? Yeah, she posted a picture <laughs> of herself in... Um, in a bra and, and liquors, right? Yeah. And then she said, right, now that I've got your attention, come to a process about periods. Oh, yeah. that's it so was really good. It was really clever, yeah. Um, it was very, very good. I think she's moved it. I always try and find it. <laughs> um, a lot of people talk about the way that things like Instagram, in particular, I think, can be damaging to young women and to feminism because, you know, it's often what you hear older people say is, like, it's, it's destroying young women and they're just all comparing themselves. Do you feel this or do you feel this among your friends i personally don't feel that mm. way i feel like it could have that potential to do that to people but i have i have people say to me you know bitching about instagram being like oh i can't even go on it anymore all i see is this that and the other and i just think well don't follow those yeah. people yeah and me and my friends are just we're not those kind of girls who want to be negative so we just follow what we like and if I don't like someone anymore I either unfollow them or if I feel like I can't unfollow them I'll just mute them yeah and um and <laughs> and um I just think you can take what you want from the internet and there's so much great stuff out there and like that law would not have been passed if we didn't have social media yeah and um and I think you see a lot of that it's actually Sometimes when I scroll through my mum's Instagram, I'm like, oh, this is horrible. You're only yeah. following people you're jealous of. And then she scrolls through mine and it's just like mad illustrations of vaginas and stuff. Great. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's much funner. Do you yeah. see it? Because a lot of your friends obviously are very young because you're an actual teenager. Do you see <laughs> it among your friends? Do, you, do they get pressured or do most of them use it for good? Yeah, I mean... I think with my generation, we are, like, everyone's very aware of the negatives of social media, I think, just because of the fact that we've, like I said, the novelty's worn off and we've yeah. had it for a while, and so now people are starting to, like, reclaim it in a way, and just kind of, people still do use it for the stuff that's, like, very typical teenagery, but I think it's often, like, the bigger stuff that can be more negative, yeah. and, like, yeah, like, me and my friends do, like, mass unfollowings of, like, people that we don't care about anymore or we don't yeah. think are going to be like good for the way we feel about ourselves which I yeah. think is really really important yeah I call it detoxing your feed 
Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Um, so this book is all about kind of the lies that we've been told about yeah. what it means to be a man or a woman or a feminist. What is one lie you've been told about what it means to be a man, a woman or a feminist? Mm. I feel like it's interesting because there's a, there's a lot of um, lies that are told to men, I feel like, mm. just as much as women and about how they have to be strong or the worst word in the world is manly. Yeah, mm. or man um, up. Yeah, man or man up. Man yeah. up. Or like grow some balls, like any yeah. of those. And I've I've definitely used those sayings before. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I feel like the pressures that are put on everyone to be what's expected of them. Yeah. And we were talking about how toxic in masculinity. Yeah, toxic yeah. masculinity, but also talking about how in school it would be a shock if a girl got an A star in mm. science, whereas if yeah. it was a boy, it would just be expected of them. And Whereas we're seen to be good at English and drama yeah. and the, the humanities. Yeah. And yeah. yeah, completely. And like the number of girls going into STEM and all of that. I definitely, I actually love maths. And I think at school I thought it was like I weird to like maths. I'm not quite like it. I'm not very good at it, but I really like it, which is a weird yeah, okay, you're, you're really good at coding. I am. Which really is something that I think, again, is like really shocking when a girl knows how to build a website. Yeah. What yeah. about you? Um, for me, it would come back to teenage girls and the idea, teenage girls and politics, mm. and the idea that girls just aren't, in, or even boys, just teenagers don't care about politics. Yeah. And I don't think it's that teenagers don't care about politics, it's just that they don't care about traditional politics. Mm. They don't care, I mean, not don't care, but now I think for our generation, it's not so much um, kind of whatever MPs are doing in the House of Commons mm. or like, you know, legislation, it's the issues that matter to us. And yeah. And the fact that politics has become so issue-based and like free periods has proven um, that politics are just posting something on Instagram. It's just posting yeah. or just telling someone about something. That's poli that's political and that's having more political impact now than like voting for an MP every mm. five years. So I think that's yeah really important for our generation yeah. now. And I also think it's really important for politicians and MPs to realise that that in the future we are. Their employers, like we're the ones who are yeah. who are keep voting for them and having an influence in the political system. So surely they should be listening to the issues that matter to us and what we're posting on Instagram. I love that, and I think you're completely right. And I think historically, there's been this kind of idea that young people don't vote and don't care about politics, yeah. and that's why politicians don't cater to issues that affect us because exactly, yeah. they're more likely to put things in place that you know, get the people that actually vote. But, mm -hmm. you know, if we, everything we do together around free periods and anything we do at pink protests, it's like young people are so engaged. Mm -hmm. I feel like now more than ever, I feel like young people didn't used to be as engaged. Yeah. I wasn't engaged with politics when I was 14, but I feel like any 14 year olds who follow me now are engaged because they're on social media. And I honestly mm -hmm. think that it's helped so much with young people caring about politics, not just in their country, but all over the world. Yeah. Like most 14-year-olds, for, I was going to say 14-year-old girls, but 14-year-old girls and boys mm. would 100% know about what's going on in America with Trump, probably on a, on a weekly update, know what's yeah. going on because of social media. Whereas when I was younger, I wouldn't have had a clue about American politics. Totally. And, and um, that kind of ties to how you started Free Periods. And something I wanted to ask is like, Something that I get thrown at me a lot is like, you know, 
why do you even need feminism? Like, look at you, you're like a white middle-class girl with... I mean, it used to be pink, now it's orange. With orange hair. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like, why do you need it? And it's that thing of trying to explain that it's not just about women like us, it's about this movement that's going to help women across the world. But what was it for you about period poverty that made you want to do something and make a difference? Um, for me, it was uh, yeah something that I'd never had to suffer through my suffer with myself. But I think just being a teenager and being a yeah. girl going to school, and also the shock of kind of growing up in this bubble where it definitely didn't affect any of my close friends or my family, and realizing that it was a thing, and also that it had been happening not just in the UK around the world, but forever. Obviously, yeah. it was <coughs> happening in 2018 or 2017 when I found out about it. It's been happening for a really long time and no one was talking about mm. it. But I think the main reason I did something about it was just because Theresa May wasn't, or well, David Cameron. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> As I just think at the time I was just kind of really shocked. I think it was raised in Parliament and Justine Greening, who was the Education Minister at the time, refused to answer. And it just kind of really hit me that you know, somebody was standing up and saying girls in the UK aren't getting an education because of periods. They're not going to school because of poverty. And, yeah, for her, for them, I just think it's the most fun... It's just the most fundamental thing that is... If girls aren't going to school, that's immediately holding us back in terms of, like, economic progress of, of the country. If girls aren't going to school, they're less likely to you know, get a degree and go to university and have an amazing job and feed back into the economy. So surely solving period poverty is like a win-win for them as well. Yeah. And so I think that's why it's so vital. And it's just, yeah, it's a human right that every girl should go to school. What's fascinating about her not answering that question is that if you'd said to her, they're not going because they don't have pencils, mm. she would definitely have answered. Like, I think the issue is the shame and stigma that we still feel. Yeah, there's an MP who refused to say the word tampon in Parliament. When we have a House of Commons who are 70% male, and one of them can't say tampon, yeah. probably more than one, <laughs> like, how's, how are they going to stand up and vote for a bill on period property? Yeah. It's like, it's, yeah. Or really not even that, just how are they going to have women's best interests in their yeah, heart? Yeah, you know? they don't. They don't. I think we know that. <laughs> um, Tanya, I think, so you have a big following, and I think you used it very well, and they're can often be a kind of fight within the feminist discussion around like whether if you have influence you it's your responsibility to use that yeah. for good do you feel like it is your responsibility or do, or do you just feel like you do it because you love it I do it because I want to yeah I don't I don't think I do feel it is my responsibility because I think it's up to anyone what they want to do on their social mm. media. I don't judge anyone else who chooses not to discuss politics. It's just something that I'm interested in. And like I said, I definitely go in waves of it. I go through waves where I read the news every single day and then I don't read it for a week. Yeah. And so for me, anything that um, shocks me, whether it's you know seeing something amazing that I want to Instagram or seeing something that makes me really sad, I'll talk about it. And, um, yeah. and that's kind of how I approach my social yeah. media. Very uh, who are some of your feminist heroes? You. Uh, no. Oh, no, honestly, <laughs> you're, no. So, you're the person I come to and I'm like, I need to do more stuff. And That's just because you have my number. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you don't have Gloria Steinem's number. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. That wish. Cool. Yeah. Um, 
I think I talked about this in the book, but um, by the book. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, I talk about my great grandma, um, who is my feminist hero because of the fact, like we were saying, she probably wouldn't have called herself a feminist, mm. but she like epitomised feminism for me um, in that she kind of grew up in like a village in South India and was expected to get married and have kids and kind of lead the very kind of traditional um, like woman, like female housewife life. Um, and she did that and then she decided that actually that wasn't enough for her and she decided to get on a plane on her own um, for the first time when she was in her early 30s and flew to Ohio and did a degree in English literature and then a master's and then became a professor and then came back to India and wrote um, for the paper for like national papers about women's issues and like I just think that's for me that's feminism when you're kind of breaking those boundaries and Mm. expectations and just doing what you want to do regardless of like gender expectations and yeah I think it's interesting that she probably feminism wasn't such a thing at the time but it existed even though it wasn't kind of conceptualized it's incredible and I think you're so right and for me My next question was like how, because you know, both of you have had periods where you have dedicated your days and your lives to activism and, you know, gone on trips, but for a lot of people, that's not realistic. You know, we've all got jobs, we've all got lives, we've all got like, you know, we're all meant to be working out and we're not and all of that (laughs) stuff. Um, And it can be really hard to be like, oh, I also have to do feminism and do Mm -hmm. activism. What, and that's an amazing example where just by living her life and not, bowing down to the things that society wanted. I think sometimes it can be as small as that, just trying to resist. But what's something you think people can do every day that is a feminist act? I feel like being unapologetically themselves, like another person that. I was going to say is such a hero, is someone like Patti Smith, who is just herself yeah. unapolog- unapologetically. And what makes me think of her is I saw Florence the Machine last night and she sang her song Patricia, which she wrote about Patti Smith. And um, I didn't know that either (laughs) until she said it on stage last night. And I was like, oh, I was like, who's Patricia? I was (laughs) listening to it on Spotify. Um, And I just think people like that who just go about their lives Mm. and... Florence is also like that. Florence, 100%. And just be women who can just be themselves and and, and men too who can be themselves Mm. and just try and break down the barriers every single day in like tiny little ways yeah and to call people out yeah that was so if you have a, if you have like a it's often like middle-aged men making yeah. making comments to you just say no it's not like that yeah. and then correct them and they'll probably just be completely kind of taken yeah. back but that means you that's activism like done in a second yeah something yeah. i would say is arm yourself with facts because then if someone it can be people can very quite easily like deny your opinions but if you're like actually one in seven girls in developing countries is out of school and 131 million girls worldwide don't get high school education they're like oh okay sorry (laughs) (laughs) um actually and also this the book is only called feminist don't wear pink because one of my dad's middle-aged friends male friends said to him i really like all scarlet's activism but like she really needs to quit with the whole wearing pink thing really What do you think? Um, Yeah, mine was just calling out the little things that you like that just don't sit right with you. Just like just saying that's actually wrong, Mm -hmm. and also just like doing things. Like so, I was just thinking on my way here, 
um, I got on the tube and there's this guy, it was like quite, quite empty, and there's this guy just like massively manspreading. So even though there were definitely <laughs> empty seats, I sat next to him and just did the same thing. And, oh um, God, and he just like immediately that. was just like, oh, okay. And I was just like, you know, I don't care. Um, yeah. But I just think things like that, like even just having conversations about things like that. Yeah. Like I talked to my dad about manspreading and like just other random things. Um, that we've just like been conditioned to normalise in our brains, and yeah. only when you start to question it and think, actually, why is it that women can't do that, or why is it that we accept the fact that men do that, that's when you realise that feminism is actually really needed. I love that, and it can be that simple. And I also would say to anyone that that seems, because when I was even like a few years ago, if you'd said to me, "Be yourself or call people out," I'd have just been terrified of it. Mm. But sometimes it can be just like trying one little thing. So like when you're on the tube with no one that you know, like doing something like that, or, you know, going, if you always wear makeup, going out for one day without it, and it can almost get addictive. Yeah. Like, I think you're like, oh, this feels great. Like, I feel, mm. being yourself feels great, and kind of standing up to the things that you've been told not to can actually, I would say feminism is almost like self-help, can make yeah. you feel really yeah. good. It's like a mini revolution every day. Yeah, completely. Profound. What, you're not that much older than this, but what advice would you have given to your 15-year-old self? Probably to be less afraid to share my opinions. Mm. Um, be less afraid to be myself. Yeah. Um, God, it's so hard. It's less so afraid hard. to share your opinions is huge. Yeah. I was terrified to share my opinions. Yeah. Mm. I just wanted everyone to I was think also I was nice. so scared of being wrong. So it wasn't just that yeah. I thought my opinions might upset people. I think that I've got friends in London who went to amazing schools and, and their schools were all kind of teaching them to speak their mind and do this and do that. And I didn't go to a school that helped me with that at all. Mm. And I just think that I don't know where my kids will go to school, but, either, but even if they go to a school that isn't helpful, I want to be able to help them at home, yeah. be like, help them share their opinions more and be more outspoken. Yeah. And it's also something for schools to do. Yeah. I think. What about you? Yeah, I think just care less generally. Yeah. Again, about... <laughs> not, not about everything. <laughs> don't care about anything. No, um, just, like, care less about what people think. Yeah. Like, don't worry about, like, disagreeing with anyone or don't yeah. care about, like, sticking out of the crowd or... And, like, just, I think it's quite easy to get into, like, a bubble, especially, like, at secondary school. I felt very, um, like, expected to, like, dress a certain way or be a certain way yeah. or, like, have, like, the normal opinion. And actually, like, only when... I started to question that and like break out of that. That was like the happiest that I felt. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I would have I would have told my fifteen year old self to care careless about being cool, but not about your A levels. Care about your A levels now at Cambridge. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, we, there's loads of bright lights here, but like I see a lot of long hair and a lot of women, and I think something we get asked a lot is how do we get men more engaged with the feminist movement? Um, what do you guys think? talking to them about feminism, I'd say. Yeah. yeah. Um, and also, yeah, and, like, making it applicable to the, their lives also, because it obviously does affect everyone. Yeah. And, like, going back to the whole to toxic masculinity idea of, like, just kind of, yeah, making them question the things that they've accepted and, yeah, just, like, the little things. Mm. I think just kind of identifying them. Because, I mean, coming back to periods, always, um, <laughs> they are really curious about the things that don't affect them. Yeah. And, like, the other day, like, this was a couple of 
literally like in summer, I was on holiday and I was like walking down the street with my brother and this like creepy guy came up to me and was like being weird and like asked my number or something. And I just like ignored him and walked away and my brother was like, oh my God. And I was like, I was like, what? And he was like, like, what are you gonna do about it? And I was like, I don't care. Like, and he was like, has that happened to you before? And I was like, he has no idea. Like, so things funny. like that don't yeah. happen to my brother, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and he, he was like, I was talking to my mum about it, and I was like, unless they see that or like hear yeah. about it, they just don't know. And like, it, periods are the same. Like, I talk to my brother about clots now because he doesn't yeah. <laughs> have a clue what they are. And um, he should. <laughs> I, they definitely right? should. My yeah. little brother had the same thing when he was like 15 and he watched Orange is the New Black and he came <laughs> running into my room and he was like, Scar, Scar, I get it. And I was like, what? And he goes, like, I get how you feel because I was watching Orange is the New Black and suddenly, I felt like an outsider, and I realised that's how you feel all the time. <laughs> I was like, not all the time, but yeah, when you're watching like The West Wing, that was um, funny. it was really cute. That's I so feel cute. like it would, it would help if there, when there were, when 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 there are events like this, is if on social media, if people when they're posting tonight post more like of the men who are here. If they're, it's, it's I can't see anyone past the front <laughs> row because of the bright lights. But I just think that a lot of men feel like it's a it's a woman thing. Yeah, and they're not allowed. Yeah. And that you're right. Well, they're they not invited. Curious. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All men are invited always. Even Jim, often when we have like dinners, he's like, Am I allowed to come or is this just a feminist woman thing? Mm. I'm like, You're always allowed to come. Yeah. Yeah. We want to start doing events that are BYOB, so you can only get in if you bring your own bloke. That's <laughs> so good. All our events are only women. <laughs> um, okay, we thought we could do an audience QA. I think there are some roaming mics. It's quite scary to us first. Oh, yay. So I was wondering, uh, with coming up with Christmas, um, I find that when I go home, uh, a lot of it is like, oh, don't start Effie off on one of her feminist rants again. Yeah. How would you arm yourself to be like, I'm not being an awful person who wants to ruin Christmas, but you're actually ruining my day? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I get that constantly. And also it's always about things that actually I don't care about. Like, the other day, my dad was like, oh, Scarlett would hate this man. And I was like, why? And it was like, he once cheated on his girlfriend. And I was like, that's fine. Like, what are you on about? Um, I think, it's not fine. I mean, it's not fine for her, but it's not like... Don't cheat on your girlfriend. But it's not a feminist issue. Like, loads of women cheat as well, you know. I don't know. It was just... It's weird. Um, I think almost I try and make it a joke. I'm like, oh, look at me. Like, I know it's not good to be self-deprecating, but if it's with people you love, you can kind of make it funny. Um, yeah. I don't know. What do you guys think? Mm. Oh, it's so hard because I'm really bad. Like, if it's a family thing, I probably do what I shouldn't do, and I just think I just won't talk about it with you because I just want to have an easy life. <laughs> um, but I know that's not the right thing to do. I don't you know. know. You it's know so what, tough. though? Like, it is annoying, and people do kind of call me out of it, and sometimes I'm like, oh, obviously I would say this. But it, over the last few years, I've seen my family change. Like, they don't make the same jokes they used to make. And they're all lovely people, but they did used to make, like, you know, 
fat jokes about women and like just little tiny sexist things and they don't as much anymore and there's definitely this period where they were like oh probably shouldn't say that in front of Scar and now they just don't say it so if it's if you can it's kind of worth that's worth it <laughs> worth ruining Christmas but you also yeah <laughs> ruin don't. Christmas uh, all of you <laughs> um, yeah but also you don't have to if you don't want to you know um, you don't have to ruin Christmas <laughs> okay anyone else got a question yeah Hi. Yeah. Um, so I was thinking, I think I've seen intersectionality become a lot more mainstream in the feminist movement, which is amazing, but I was interested, do you ever feel the pressure of trying to sort of be inclusive and, but also sort of stay true to your own feminism and how do you think we can sort of make sure the feminist movement grows but is still intersectional and inclusive for everyone? Mm. I don't feel pressure, but I think it could confuse people and that, that's the only thing I think can hold people back. What do you think? Yeah, I think it's like a really amazing thing that people are starting to talk about intersectionality and also making it, um, yeah, just more linked to feminism and like making like all feminism should be intersectional, yeah. obviously. And I think it's, um, yeah, it's good that it, people are more conscious of that because I think we're at that again, that's only something that's in the process of happening. Like it's not, we can't like take for granted that all people's feminisms are uh, intersectional now. So I think it's good that people are talking about it and I think it needs to be continued to be talked about and I think it's just yeah very easy to paint paint feminism with one brush is that the expression yeah, yeah. Like, do you know what I mean just kind of be like yeah feminism that's equality and everyone with having equal rights and like it is but it's it's more than that and it's also just it's every it's everybody included mm -hmm. in that and just understanding that like the female experience is different for everyone is just really important yeah, I feel like being conscious is of of things is the most important thing with like every single issue. And for me, I remember when I first heard about intersectionality it was actually from Tandy at one of your very I think it might have been the very first, the first pink one, yeah. protest. Was it a pink protest night yeah. back then? Had a different name then. Like a couple of like maybe like three years ago, two, yeah. three years ago. And um and she did a whole I was sat in it, we were doing like little group discussions and Tandy did a chat about it. And it completely educated me on the subject because I had no idea. And I was like, oh, you're so right. And, and it's so just, it's just important to be aware and mm. I think talk to people about it because not everyone does understand. Yeah, and I think the pressure historically has been on women of colour and minorities and intersections within the feminist movement to explain themselves. And I think actually it's pretty good that the pressure now is on white women to be like, we've really messed up in the past mm. and like that's on us and we need to make an effort, you know? And I think if you understand it, explaining it to your friends is great because I think a lot of women don't understand it and then that holds them back from embracing it because everyone's scared of things they don't understand. Yeah. Um, okay, anyone else? Not in the there, this one there. Hi, uh, you said arm yourself with facts and I have a family of particularly opinionated white male men. Nice. Um, and if I wanted to stir shit up this Christmas, <laughs> what uh, crash course in facts would you send me to? Or, like, where resources would you send me to? Um, well, there's actually a very good section in Feminist Network Pink called Feminist Comebacks, which has got a lot of facts in. Uh, Girl Up have a lot of amazing stats. I always go to, like, all the UN websites and different organisations have, like, masses of facts. Um, and you kind of know that they're very legit, so I always go on 
UN websites. Um, I also think, I literally, it can be, it sounds really lame, but literally making a note in your phone of like, oh, I have a note in my phone <laughs> with like feminist stats and then I just whip them out. Yeah, I, I wish I'm I really cool like... guys and really fun at parties. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, there's one about there are like four times as many men called Mark as women um, who own FTSE 100. Yeah, companies. all people of colour. Yeah, it's like ridiculous. As women who what? As women, just women. What? That's yeah. such a cool fact. I know. It's not cool. <laughs> um, <laughs> no. no, but it's a useful yeah. fact. Yeah, and just it, things like that that really just like. Hit, hit home, like hit, hit hard. I find things that apply, like I think yeah. for me the fact that only 33% of members of parliament are women is yeah. huge because it's just those are the people making the laws about our country and it's so unequal. Um, yeah. Yeah. Thank you all so much for being here thank and you. thank you for being feminist. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to this podcast. If you've enjoyed it, or even if you didn't, we'd love to hear from you. So make sure you subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Feminists Don't Wear Pink and Other Lies, published by Penguin Random House, is available to buy now via the link in the description of this episode. All of the royalties from each book sold go to the amazing UN organisation Girl Up, who are supporting girls across the world. For more information and to join our gang, please follow us on Instagram at, at feminists. Thank you so much to Audio Boom for helping us get it out there and to the wonderful Pink Feminists who've joined us as guests. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.